Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Penny has trained thousands of advanced as well as emerging non-surgical cosmetic doctors and nurses in the art of anatomically focused cosmetic consultation, injection technique, and laser enhancement. She has also consulted and treated countless non-surgical cosmetic patients on matters ranging from simple cosmetic enhancement treatments to corrective and advanced procedures. Penny has been called upon over the years to assist some of the biggest industry leaders for injectable training events, including Dr. Mircea Damal, Dr. Kern de Bull, and Dr. Stephen Liu, to name a few. Penny holds a Bachelor of Nursing and is one of Australia's most experienced and passionate non-surgical aesthetic nurse specialists, as well as medical education expert. Penny's back. <laughs> Yay! Back. Penny, uh, thank you very much for coming. Pleasure. Your episode, when it went out, and obviously it's been out for a while now, it was probably one of our most popular. That's so amazing. So we couldn't not get you back. So Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Um I think the feedback was really, you know, we've, we've worked out as time has gone on that a lot of our listeners are nurse injectors, mm-hmm. as well as doctors, some dentists, clinic owners and consumers. But I think a lot of the stuff that you said resonated and people wanted more. So we're going to try and drill down onto some of those things you touched on a little bit further, if that's OK. No problem. Sounds great. Yeah. And I think, um, as you said, Jake, some episodes are going to resonate more with I guess people who are just out there looking to gather information as consumers or potential patients. And then we'll have some episodes that are more, I guess, directed at medical professionals. So we're trying to trying to keep everyone happy. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Nice and, balance. And look, if you're a consumer listening to this one today and you're thinking, oh God, this is for nurses and there's nothing for me. If you think about this from a consumer, if you're going to sit in a consultation with that nurse, you can sort of try and make your time with that nurse much more effective by touching on some of the points that we're going to go into, maybe. Absolutely. And it's a two-way relationship. You don't have a business without patients and you don't have patients without clinicians. So this is a partnership and I think it's just as important for the consumers to be well aware of what they should be asking, what's important, um, you know, what they should be looking for when they're looking for an injector, as well as from the injector's perspective, what they need to to have and to be able to do to ensure that this this person is looked after effectively and um, safely. Totally agree. So look, we were just having a coffee upstairs and we've kind of agreed that there's no right answer to this first question, but... One of the most common things that I get DM'd into my Instagram, and I know this happens to nurses all over the Mm. place, is new nurses who have just graduated or nearly graduating saying to people, hey, how do I get into cosmetic injecting? And there isn't really a good answer to that question, but let's just try and give some people a little flowchart of some of their options at least. None of them are sort of ideal. Sure. It's a really great point that you've raised 
in the beginning because I think going back 10 years ago, this actually wasn't a thing. Nobody really went into nursing to become a cosmetic nurse. It was very, very rare. You went into nursing to become a nurse and you came out of your nursing and you realized there was another option, which was cosmetic nursing. And a lot of us fell onto it by accident, I'd say, or, you know, right place, right time, um, as opposed to going into it specifically to be a nurse, to be a cosmetic injector or, you know, a nurse. As did I, yeah. Absolutely, and same with me. Um, And I think we really need to talk about that and and what that actually means because, you know – we're, this is a medical industry. I think there's you see it on Facebook at the moment a lot, and on Instagram, and people are saying patients first, or you know, do we call them clients? Do we call them patients? You know, who, who are we looking after? Clients, Dr. Maurizio Demel. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's inter- it's um good point because as you said, people like yourself and Jake and many other medical. Uh, professionals out there providing these type of services have had started off somewhere else and they mm. acquired a whole lot of skills and training right. and experience with patients. And now we've seen the emergence of the cosmetic injector who this is a career path for them now That's from right. from even before they commence studying. Absolutely. So they come out um, really enthusiastic and this is the career they want to go down. Mm. But there's like a there's like a missing bit. Absolutely. They don't have that that experience and, and sort of general medical training that people that didn't start there had. So we've got that little bit of, bit of a weird spot now in the industry where it's moved faster than what we can keep up with in terms of regulation and, and making sure everyone's at a, at a standard. Absolutely. There's a lag. And if you think about being a surgical nurse, you would go and do your three years of training and then you would go into a postgraduate program in a nursing hospital and you would do at least 12 months of a postgraduate surgical nursing program and you would acquire those really uh, dedicated skills within a specific area and then you would move on with your nursing. And we don't have that necessarily everywhere um, available for cosmetic nursing. So you don't go through and do your general and then specify specifically that you want to become a cosmetic nurse and do a year or two year postgraduate diploma, um, you know, honing those skills in an environment that's conducive to um, ongoing learning. And what I mean by that is you're not in a clinic doing a postgraduate diploma where you learn on the job. Um, What's currently available is you can go into other practices, um, sorry, into schools and you can do um, programs programs, which is fantastic, but you're not learning on the job as you go. And as we all know, in any job, 70% of what you learn is, is when you're there. So I agree, we've got a massive lag with that. Yeah. And I think it's something we do need to talk about because there are ideal skills that nurses should have yeah. medically um, before moving into cosmetic injecting. Especially with a job that's so hands-on and so uh, patient-centric. And you're in your you own. There's only so much you can learn theoretically. You actually need to put in the time and the hours of actually going in there and Absolutely. communicating with patients and under- being able to read situations. You, these intangible sort of skills that yes. you just can't acquire from a textbook or a lecture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And on top of that as well, a lot of nurses will find themselves in situations where they're pretty much possibly on their own or Mm. only with one or two other colleagues or maybe one other doctor on site with them. Um, In a hospital, you're surrounded by a lot of people. There is always someone to ask and always someone to learn from. So, you know, there's a massive learning curve coming out and um, being really competent, confident and safe when it comes to being a, a cosmetic nurse. And just to not alienate people, we can also talk about doctors and dentists, I guess, briefly. It's it's a slightly different thing because, like you said, they would have gone into their profession as a doctor Mm. or as a dentist and then, um, you know, maybe had the opportunity to do injecting Mm. on the side or maybe dedicate to it fully in the future. But a nurse, you know, like you said, can just go straight into it. That's right. So for doctors and dentists, um, are there any sort of 
you know, prerequisites or anything that they should be thinking about if they're, you know, maybe let's talk about a GP, which is quite a good example. Like they might have heard about cosmetic injecting. Where should they go to start their journey? For a doctor, yeah, the easiest way to be exposed is to go and do a basic course with one of the pharmaceutical companies who provide product. Um, it's open to all doctors to go and do that. Um, I'm not sure about dentists, actually, to be honest. Okay. Um, that's an area I don't have a lot of skill knowledge in. Yeah. Um, but I do know that there are um, places, I know there's one in Perth specifically who trains dentists in injectables, which is great as well. Okay, good. Um, but it's it's very easy to go and do a course with either Allergan or Galderma um, or any of the, the major providers and start your journey that way. And you would generally assume um, that the medical knowledge, the confidence in taking medical history, understanding um, drug interaction and things would already be there, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Also it's slightly different control. where a nurse yeah. may have never done that. Absolutely. And that's the thing with nursing depending on where your placements are. Um, you may or may not have any background or um, understanding in even a medical environment, depending on where you ended up. Yeah. So look, there's a couple of, you know, let's mention any names, but there are a few sort of dedicated diplomas that mm -hmm. I've seen in cosmetic, uh, not just injecting, but cosmetic skills, I sure. guess you'd call it. Um, you know, anecdotally from speaking to people who've done it, some of it was good, some of it was irrelevant. It was expensive, um, then you can go and do a two day course with some third party somewhere. And, you know, that's good for, I guess, some exposure, mm. but it's certainly not going to give you enough to go and work independently. So sure. I guess what we're saying is there is no, uh, there isn't a, there, there isn't really a career path. Like, you know, you mentioned the word mm. career path, David, but mm. there actually isn't a path. Mm. You've got to make it yourself. Yeah, look, and with that lag that we were talking about before, I think any training is good training. And anytime you're getting yourself exposed to people and, you know, who've got a lot of experience and who are mentoring, that, that's a fantastic thing why we work out what we do with this regulatory wise and, um, you know, what that pathway should look like. Because mm. it is a thing now. Being a cosmetic nurse, that's a thing. And it, it never used to be. It is a pathway. It's what people are going into nursing to, to do. And we, we need to take that seriously and look at that. And it's an exciting pathway. Um, but at the same time, we need to be really realistic on the skill set that's needed to be safe and efficacious in, in this area. Yeah. My biggest probably advice from that perspective is apply for a job in a cosmetic setting. Yeah. Because there is so much that you will learn on site and then you can back that up with going to do your courses, your weekend courses, um, your pharmaceutical courses that you do and your ongoing training. But that hands-on, on-the-job experience surrounded by peers who have got more experience than you to start with is exactly how we always learn in any path and any journey. So from a job perspective, get a job. Put your name out there, you know, get, get your personal skills right first. Make sure you've done your year first. You, you understand competency. You're really good with your basic medical knowledge. Um, but apply for a job in a cosmetic clinic that's reputable, um, that has a great training program, that dedicates time to education and, and find those places because they are out there. There's many of them. Yeah. I mean, David, you, you run clinics and yeah. you employ nurses when you, when you get someone's CV. Yeah. Presumably you're kind of going, okay, this person's got zero experience at all, but mm. they want to be an injector. And yeah. this girl or guy has been in theatres for three years. Yeah. It's kind of a no-brainer who I would choose. Yeah. But do you do you agree that, you know, having that basic nursing experience, yeah. not just because it makes sense, but they'll actually have some hands-on skills? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get CVs all the time, resumes from people wanting to get into cosmetic nursing, and I'm always looking for what have you done post-graduation? Have you spent 
time in the hospital setting? Have you done terms in anaesthetics? Have you done anything where if something goes wrong when you're on your own, you're going to be comfortable enough to deal with an emergency situation? So it might be a severe vasovagal where they're fainting, they might hit their head or where they have an anaphylaxis or a vascular occlusion, like having being seasoned in dealing with emergency situations, which you just can't train for. You, you, no one's going to recreate an emergency situation <laughs> that's going to be true to how it actually goes down. So I'm always looking for that in terms of, and, and because it's not a prerequisite, I mean, I'm in a bit of a unique position because I've been in the industry for a long time. So I can mm. look at someone's CV, even though not medically trained and get an understanding of where they've been, what they've done and, and what they're going to need in this sort of setting. But I think there's a lot of business owners out there that maybe are dabbling or have businesses in this industry. Sure who go, oh, yeah, cool, they're a nurse, go. They don't really understand that there's not all nurses are equal <laughs> in terms of their training and experience. Absolutely. I mean, so what, what would you recommend if to business owners who are looking to employ nurses or nurses looking to get into it? What do you think is essential in terms of their time in hospital or skills that they should be coming to? A minimum of 12 months in a hospital setting, okay. minimum of 12 months. And and the reason for that is for all, all the things that you've just talked about there. I mean, even infection control, yeah. you're taught basic wound healing and basic wound um, you know, care in a hospital, which when you're there seems really medial. But even understanding the difference between a clean hand and a dirty hand and what you can touch and what you can't touch yeah. are, are all so relative and important when you come into the cosmetic setting. There's a lot of ongoing infection that we see now. There's a lot more biofilm that people talk about. There's you know, a lot of problems that are coming out from these basic needs not being met when it comes to looking after your patients. So minimum 12 months. Um, second of all to that as well, you, you, like you've just pointed out, you learn to deal with difficult situations. A vasovagal or a fainting episode is something that happens quite often in a hospital. And it can be quite scary the first time you see it, particularly yeah. if they have a, a slight seizure reaction or, yeah. you know, but if, if you've seen it and you've dealt with it a couple of times in a hospital setting, you've been surrounded by people who have seen it before, you learn from that experience. To be on your own in a clinic, in a room and have that happen is, is really yeah. frightening. So to not have those basic emergency understanding, like you said, yeah. is, is is huge for the patient um, as well as for the nurse left on their own if they are in that yeah. situation. So they're two, two really important points there for sure. Just to, um, for consumers out there that maybe don't know what a vasovagal is, maybe can we just break that down a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> as I said, a, a vasovagal is basically when you faint. So right. th there's so many reasons why people faint. Needle phobias. 100%. Yeah. And, and, you know, even little things, you, you're you getting your lips done for the first time and they put cream on your lips. Mm. You're young, you didn't have breakfast because you got up late and you had a big night out the night before. This happens quite regularly. I'm so excited Please about getting do lips that done. <laughs> don't do that. I'm not condoning that. I'm yeah. saying it can happen. Yeah. Um, or even not so. You've got very, very nervous patients, they sit there with cream on their lips, they're breathing through their nose, so they're not deeply breathing. And a really common reaction from patients when they feel nervous is to hold their breath. Yes. So you'll be injecting them and you notice that they're holding their breath. Again, as a nurse, I'm trained every four hours to go in and check their vital signs and I'm watching their breathing. Mm. So as an injecting nurse, it sounds so silly, but I'm actually watching their breath. Yes. So I'm picking up on these little subtle signs that are they breathing properly? Does it look to me like they're in a comfortable state? Does it look like their anxiety is getting worse? Can I notice that they're shifting and, and being uncomfortable, but they're trying to hide that? All of that comes from being in a situation in a hospital setting where I'm watching these vital signs and monitoring them all the time. And they're those little skills that I think we probably don't yeah. appreciate. But whereas, um, you know, your in. casual injector might go, oh, lips easy. 
That's right. Exactly. Jump in and do them, yeah. make them big and juicy. Absolutely, because <laughs> technically you can learn to do these procedures, but it's all of those little subtle yeah. insights that make a big difference. Yeah. Absolutely, and watching someone's breathing patterns. Yeah. it's really important if you yeah. want to stop a vasovagal or fainting episode, as yeah. we've just talked about. Hmm. I'm going to be say something that might be a little bit polarizing. <laughs> so Ooh, apologies okay, for anyone that's offended by this out there. Please so, don't unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think that a lot of people are getting into the industry now because it's glamorous sure. and they can make a lot of money. Um, yes, right. And it seems like this, you know, everyone wants to be the famous cosmetic injector, right? Sure. So I think that you're actually attracting a cohort of people now sure. um, who are in this maybe for different reasons than sure. other people that might be more self-serving. They haven't actually gone into this because they've got a passion about patient care. It's more Absolutely. about being Insta-famous or being a cosmetic injector and there's a lot of like prestige and, you know, That's right. associated with that role. So I think we're seeing people coming into the industry that aren't patient-focused, sure. um, who aren't really interested in understanding holistic patient care, which I think might be causing some issues <laughs> but, I, but i think that's also the industry's fault and it needs yes. to take some accountability oh, absolutely you know most of us including myself are guilty mm. of mainly advertising ourselves through social media yeah. mm -hmm. so it gets trivialized by default mm -hmm. not because it's trivial yeah. but just because of the perception of ah yeah this looks fun this and looks it's cool. a service and, and it's a service as well so people are putting themselves out there and trying to make it look um inviting and enticing because it's a service and they're trying to get customers in but to your point that you raised at the beginning about consumers i think this is where consumer awareness needs to be you know elevated and educated as well consumers need to be asking the right questions of their medical providers i mean you wouldn't go in and get your an operation done on your leg for example without really looking into that obviously if it was emergency it's a bit different but if you were choosing a provider to have an operation you'd, you'd look into that provider and you would you would ask around for word of mouth you would mm. you would look at their website you would understand their qualifications um, and if you didn't understand them you would ask somebody to you know to help you with that and yeah. i don't know if we're doing that so much in this industry and I'm not sure that consumers are really thinking of this medically um, and I think it's important that we let them know that they should be yeah. and that asking questions of your practitioners qualifications what they've done beforehand um, you know their support systems particularly if they're a nurse are really important and, and valid mm -hmm. um, and you know as a practicing nurse I'm offering that information to my patients when they come in because I want them to understand that there is a difference yeah, yeah. and I want to educate those consumers on what's safe. Yeah. Um, and, and we should all be doing that within the industry. I mean, going back to what we said originally about clients versus patients. Sure. I, I truly, you know, sounds stupid, but I, I believe in that pliant kind of thing because they're both. Yes. You just said they're coming in for a service. They're yes. not ill. That's they've right. got choice. Mm -hmm. But once they're in your room, you're going to treat them as a patient. You're mm -hmm. going to you know, treat them as a doctor or a nurse. So you've sort of got to put two caps on, not one, and fulfill both delivering a service but mm -hmm. looking after them as you would in a hospital, yeah. I think. But what comes first? Well, I think as soon as they've come in your door, because, you know, they've come with free will. Sure. You're not out there holding an advertising board, walking around yourself. That client has got the opportunity to jump around, check people's prices, check out their Instagram, whatever you said. Yes. But once you're in your room, you've got your chance to show that you're both a skilled injector, but you're also going to look after them as a, as a medical professional. But to me, that comes first. 
And that comes back to the training that we're talking about now and taking it seriously and doing your medical training, making sure you're really skilled on basic medical care Yeah. because it is patients first. And then secondary to that, once we've got the patient bit right and we're looking after them properly, we're providing them with a fantastic service yeah. and everything to do with marketing and um, consumer awareness and brand awareness and self-branding comes secondary yes. to our understanding, education and ability to make sure that our patients are safe. Yeah. I mean, you know, when a client comes into my room, they'll often try and sort of say, okay, I want, and I sort of stop them there and I'm okay, we'll come on to that, but let's just talk about you and your medical history and so on. So I agree. If you establish that boundary quickly and early, you sort of set the scene. Yes. Whereas if you're like, okay, what do you want today? You're almost acting as like a you know, a, sounds like a manicure. Sounds like you're ordering a Big Mac. Don't <laughs> yeah, you? yeah, yeah, pretty much <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I do see a lot of that. To be mm. to be completely honest, so. yeah, absolutely, and it is kind of consumer driven. I think in that regard, and that's another set of skills that us as medical practitioners need to work on. Is how do we we get that balance right? But to go back to your question on education and and pathways. Mm. Um, do 12 months in a clinic setting. And I'm not talking a cosmetic clinic setting. I'm talking a, a hospital setting or a GP setting. Learn your basic skill sets. Learn your vital signs. Yeah. Learn how to look for breathing. Understand how to change a wound cleanly. Learn asepsis. Um, understand what to do, you know, in an vasovagal setting. Understand how to ask for help. Um, look at medical interaction. Understand drug interactions, you know, even little things. What's antibiotics going to do? Does it matter? Is, is it a problem, you yeah. know? Um, what topical creams are they putting on their skin? What does that matter? Is it a problem? There's so many interactions, you know, diabetics, you know, what can happen to a diabetic if they get a necrosis? Do you know that? Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Um, You know, you need to understand the underlying factors of a human and a patient and their interactions and what to do with that patient before you then set out to become a cosmetic injector if you're putting your patients first. Yeah. And coming back to David again, so you work for a chain clinic, yep. Laser Clinics Australia. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about how they briefly recruit their nurses and, and what's the background to working for someone like a chain clinic? Because yeah. I, I personally feel in this country anyway that that's a really good and probably one of the best options in terms of the basic training that a nurse is going to get. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, LCA has really um, taken some amazing steps forward in terms of the way they recruit and train the nurses that are coming through um, their businesses. So I know that they go through a fairly rigorous interview process where the franchisee Mm. will either self-recruit or someone will approach them and they'll conduct an interview process and they need to go to someone at a head office level who then needs to also go through that interview process and make sure that they're happy with that Mm. person as well. So if the individual clinic owner and head office are happy to proceed, they then go on a a nine-week training program Mm. um, internally, which is held by um, the head office uh, internal training team and then also the clinical specialist from the pharmaceutical companies that supply the products. So that nine weeks is pretty intensive and I know that it's a lot more than some of the other courses that are out there. Mm. Um, And then there's like ongoing training and support and development Mm. once they've come through that. So that initial nine-week training program teaches them the very basics in terms of um, how to consult, how to do anti-wrinkle, how to do basic dermal filler like um, cheeks and lips, Mm -hmm. um, how to deal with adverse events um, and the systems and processes of the business. And then each individual nurse goes on their own 
journey in terms of how quickly they're progressing. So they will be teamed up with a clinical training specialist who will then guide them through the next step. So if they want to move on to say cannula or um, advanced advanced areas, which mm-hmm. they say for like temples or like jawline and chin and things like that is something they can't do until they've proven um, a certain level of competence and mm-hmm. have been in the system for a period of time before they're allowed to progress. So mm-hmm. I think that I might be biased because I work within the organisation. <laughs> I think they do a really, really good job. And I think that there has been a little bit of, um, because it is a big business and because it, it's, um, I guess, such an, a, a success story that sometimes people may think that the training and um, the processes are not where they, where they they should be just mm. because that sometimes happens when you've got these big these big chain clinics. But I think they're actually doing it better than a lot of people mm. from what I've seen. I've got to say nine weeks. I certainly yeah, didn't get that. No, and, either. Uh, you know, to have that support of a, of a company as well as the pharmaceutical companies, yeah. you've got mm. colleagues training with you. It's pretty much like going yeah. to a, a and condensed it's a huge school. Network. It's a huge network. So we've got a lot of experienced people within the business who then can um, help assist the people that are, uh, are more new into the into the industry or new into the business. So there's a lot of um, support, both from a franchisee and head office perspective, and then just the other medical professionals. I think there's like hundreds of nurses mm-hmm. involved now in the business and doctors. And so it's a nice, safe place to get your training and, I guess, patient experience under your belt. Mm. Absolutely. And you will find, that's fantastic to hear, you know, as we just said, I think I'll go about an hour when I started many years ago. So (laughs) it's great to hear that people are looking into that education. And what I would say is there's a lot of really good clinics out there, even outside of LCA, who are also doing this now because they're understanding the importance of that. So what I would say for nurses who are looking to get into this is ask questions. An interview is a two-way process. If you go in there, ask, you know, that the provider, the business owner, the doctor, whoever it is that you go in, the nurse, whoever you're going to work for, what education yeah. and support would I get coming into here? Yeah. Um, it's a really big question. It's an important one. So, you know, and the second side of that was interesting that you spoke then, you know, that the, the person will see the, the business owner. And then they'll go to head office and I'm, I'm assuming there's a HR component yeah. there. This is set up. These people know how to interview. They know yeah. what to ask for. Um, if you're new to a business and you're looking at recruiting, I think some of those things are important to touch on as well. You know, what are you asking for? What what type of person do you want when you're coming into the business? Because yeah. as we've touched on, it's the soft skills. Yeah. You know, you're looking at personality, branding, how you are you're talking to patients yeah. as well as your medical experience. So it goes both sides of it as well. Yeah. I think from a business owner's perspective, what they're also looking for is just as important. Yeah, I call them the unicorn injector when you find the right <laughs> one because they're so hard to find. Because you'll, find you'll find people that are um, really good on the sales side of things, sure. they're personality plus, they look the part, they're great with the team, but the clinical skills just aren't there. Sure. And then you've got people that are really good clinically and technically, but they just don't have that X factor. Sure. They're, just, they're just not creating the experience for the patient. They're not they're not passionate about mm. it, but they're clinically very sound. So it's trying to find that person that is passionate and on it and personality plus, but teamed with That's it. that those clinical skills. If you find those people, so you don't it. let them it. go. No, they're really wait, hard hold to on. find. The other side of this that we haven't, we've, we've spoken a lot about injectables, but yeah. you don't need to start your journey in the cosmetic environment mm-hmm. in injectables. Actually, that's quite an acquired skill set and it's probably one of the more difficult ones. You can start in skin. You can start in lasers. You can start in so many different areas that give you a foot into this industry. And actually, sometimes that's a really nice nice way to start because if you can start looking after people's skin and understand the skin, 
you've then got a chance to learn about the ageing process. You've then got a chance to look at how a clinic actually yeah. runs. You can watch the injector skill sets and what they're doing. You can make people feel fantastic about themselves with laser. Yeah. Removing someone's pigmentation or redness or, you know, helping them with treatments to, to rejuvenate and, and get skin tightening, for example, are, are wonderful things to do. You don't need to be injector to get into this yeah. industry. And that's I think a, it's important to touch on that as that's well. That's a really good point because I've actually had probably f- I think four or five people that started in my clinics as therapists sure. who then went on to study nursing and are now cosmetic injectors sure. in the business. So they've got that skin background. That's they it. understand the business. Yes. They know all the clients because they've right. been there. And I guess working for somewhere like LCA where they've got the capacity to sort of support you through mm. your training, mm. you're starting like on the front foot. Like you know everyone, you just like you, it makes it so much. So the people that have gone down that path have been really successful. Really oh, quickly. absolutely. And dermatology clinics, mm. you know, they're dedicated to skin. You can learn so much as a nurse coming out of your training in going to work in a dermatology clinic. And there's a lot of them out there. And they are also looking for skilled, you know, nurses to come in and work for them. And once again, you learn about skin, skin conditions. You may even go and learn about the difference of, um, you know, skin cancers, melanomas, all these types of things that we don't talk about that are all interrelated in the experience for the patient. So do not feel you have to start in this as becoming an injector and quickly going and doing a course to get a job. There are so many ways you can get into it that are yeah. super helpful, um, amazingly interesting, and also really beneficial to your clients if you want to be in that more service industry. Do you have anything to add to the X Factor unicorn thingy that David was just Absolutely. Probably a bit of a crude analogy. No, <laughs> it, it is true. And you talked about before about, you know, people get into this to make a lot of money. Not a lot of people make a lot of money. You know, there's a lot of people who don't make good money and they're out of this industry within two to three weeks. Yes, I see them all the time. Yeah. Working for Allegan, I was part of those nine-week yeah. courses that you, you spoke about, Dave, and, and they're brilliant and they learn a lot of them. But a lot of them are gone within two to three years because they haven't made the money that they were going to. And that X factor really is to do with that personal branding, that experience, your soft skills, your communication skills, your ability to listen, to truly understand what it is that the patient is there for. And none of that is taught in medicine. And I'd assume it's not taught, you know, when, you, when you're doing your medical degrees either, Jake. Is not that- really. I mean, I went to University of Manchester and it was one of the first universities that actually took communication really seriously. Sure. And it was cringy as hell, but every week we had to sit in a fake room with a fake actor patient sure. and have all our mates watching. It was hilarious actually. Yeah. <laughs> and we, it would be a scenario like an angry patient yes. or a sad patient or delivering bad news. Yes. And I've got to say, I still remember some of the techniques and, and things that I might have mm. put into play there, but yeah, you, it, you can try and learn it, but there were some people who just, I mean, would just laugh around for hours because they just couldn't, do it. They had no empathy or, or they um, just pick, didn't pick up on cues or, you know, some of this stuff you, you can try and teach and try and learn, but I think some of it's innate. Mm. I don't know. Absolutely. I'm sure it is. I mean, some people just have that bright, bubbly personality that connects with people straight away and other people it takes a little bit of time. And when you're in a service industry and you're sitting with someone right there, you've got to connect with them really, really quickly. So that, that is an innate skill sometimes, but it can be learnt. Yeah. Um, going back to your experience with communication, that's set also in a medical setting. You're not talking about a setting where Correct. you're trying to bring people in as you know a, a patient of yours that is going to be paying an ongoing service for hopefully the rest of their life. So that skill set, again, is very different. Yeah, that dynamic, uh, even for doctors, you know, coming out of hospital setting to a 
private clinic where you're effectively, like we said, selling a service. Some people really struggle with that. Yes. Because, you know, they feel ethically, I'm a doctor, which of course they are, and you touched on that's your first principle, Mm. but you are there to run a business as well. Let's be real. And some people just, I don't know, they just struggle with that. They they find it unethical, Mm. Um, which, you know, it's a cosmetic service. It's not an illness. And so that is a different dynamic. And I think plastic surgeons would be more obviously aligned in in, in understanding that. Mm. But for a doctor who is a cardiologist, Mm. suddenly doing anti-wrinkle treatment, it's quite a different dynamic. That's a very different, that's an incredibly different dynamic and it's certainly a training I haven't um, engaged in. But to go back to that, that kind of, I guess, essence of X factor, um, you know, who are you? What's your personal brand? And I, I say this a lot to people when we start out and I think I touched on it in the last podcast as well, but you, what do you represent? What are you passionate about? What do you stand for? How do you look? What do you dress? Um, all of these things are going to be noticed by these patients straight away and, yeah. and that starts your personal brand. So sit down and think about that before you get into this as well. It's not just about the injecting or making money or being Instagram. Even if you are on Instagram, what are you portraying? What is your brand? If someone comes to that site, what do you want them to take away from that that experience with you? And then that's got to continue all the way through your branding as to, into your interpersonal skills that you have with them as well. So sit down and think about that. Really think about that. Um, and what you'll notice with those unicorn injectors that you were talking about before, they've got that. It's so obvious who they are. They're so clear on who they are, what they stand for, what they're doing. And because of that, they're successful because they've put a lot of thought into all aspects um, of this industry, not just the injecting side of it. So just to summarize so far, we've said that if you're a new nurse graduate or getting into nursing, it's probably best to get some clinical experience before going into cosmetic injecting. Um, there are a number of pathways. There's some you know, diplomas, basic workshops, third party training, mm. chain clinics. So there's lots of different avenues. And I guess it's sort of going to depend on what is what what what's around you what suits you what's your life like do you have kids and all those other things and then um sort of budding up with a doctor or a mentor someone who can support you or or the clinic itself and um sort of working out who you are working out are you going to be uh someone who's known for x or y or do you have a specialty or are you interested in skin as well Mm. that you know sort of finding your own niche i guess that's exactly it so once you've done all of that how do you you know, you, you're on social media. How do you think that you should sort of represent yourself? Let's go into that in a little bit more detail. Mm. Um, do you think that, you know, it's okay to bef- to publish before and after photos? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's okay to do live injecting videos? Like, how do you think that you should sort of represent yourself? I think it's important to have a strategy around this and something to sit down and really, really think about. Mm-hmm. Um I think it is good to put before and afters up there. I think it is good to have a brand presence. I think that we all know without any shadow of a doubt that the most successful way to get patients into your clinic is word of mouth. Yeah. That's definite. But if I am a friend and I say, yeah, I've just had my lips done, Um, you should go and see my injector. The first thing someone's going to do is is qualify that. So. It's a, it's a great free tool, let's be honest, with Instagram. You can show who you are. You can showcase any of the things that you've just talked about. And, you know, if my lips are different to my friend's lips and I get onto your Instagram page and I see six or seven different types of lips and they resonate with me because they all look natural or they all look big or whatever it is that you're after, 
that's going to really talk to me as a patient. So, you know, that, that brand awareness is incredibly important. And Instagram's a great way to start that journey. And let's be honest, we're visual. And people who are coming to you for a cosmetic change want a visual change. So it's a really nice link between the two to, to start to, to, to utilize that. Um, obviously, the bigger your business gets and the more, you know, entwined it gets, if you start getting people working with you, you need to move on to websites and other different means. Yeah. But I think as a, as a starting touch point for people to understand who you are, what you represent, um, you know, your profile as such, and also the work that you do, I think it's a really positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's difficult, isn't it? It's just it's trying to find that balance between... I guess over self-promotion and then doing enough to generate your business and be able to showcase your work. That's right. It's 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 a it's a difficult balance to find, I think. And as a consumer, it's really important you think about that. So what are you looking at? Is it just bravado or if I'm actually looking at the posts and what they're saying and how they conduct themselves and, and the messages that they're putting up, even in memes, what are the messaging that's coming across yeah. in that? You know, really think about that as an injector. It's already funny and cute to put things up there, but everything you say is now in the presence of the public. So what does that mean for you and how does that and look? it's there forever. Yeah. It's there forever. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly right. Mm -hmm. It really is. And it's it's a good thing. As I said, we're visual. We need to have these tools. Um, we want people to see what we represent. We should be proud of our work and what we're doing. But everything you post is is basically posting of yourself. Yeah. So remember that when you're out there doing it as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. We're, we're going to do a, a sort of a specific Instagram uh, yeah. In a few selection weeks, of episodes. Mm. But Amazing. You know, for me as an injector, most of it I would hope is educational. Yes, there's a, one or two personal things so people understand who you are, you know, who I yeah. am, and I've got a life outside injecting. That's right. But even if I post a funny meme, if you read the comments, there'll be a a reason, you know, sure. for the joke, which is hopefully resonates with people to make them second think about, you know, double think about. Oh, okay maybe I should approach this differently in my consultation or whatever it may be. So like, you know, I'm never pointing fun at people for the, for the sake of pointing fun at people. Yes. There's a serious point, you know, beneath the joke. And I think you're right. If you just got a, an Instagram thing full of, you know, coffee photos and ah, it's the weekend and blah, blah, blah. It, it sort of makes you, I wouldn't take that injector as seriously as someone who has thought about, Absolutely. You know, purpose promoting. and messaging. That's exactly right. What's your purpose for having an Instagram? What are you messaging to people? What do you want them to learn? What do you want them to know? And what essence of you do you want them to get from that? And if you're doing all of those things on your post, then it's it's a great tool to, sh to showcase who you are and, and what it is that you're about. So going from being in, uh, training injecting to setting up your sort of social media, et cetera, and you've got a client, let's talk about consultation because this is a biggie. We could do yeah, we can do a whole episode on, on this. Yeah. But let's just try and drill down to some key things. So the art of consultation, I mean, it depends probably on your personality type to some extent and, and where you're working. But can you give some, you know, new nurses who are getting into it or someone who's maybe been there for six months, like some hot tips on how to approach the consultation? My first tip would be your consultation starts well before your consultation. <laughs> And you should spend a lot of time working on yourself, your communication skills, your listening skills, and understanding other people before you even start your, commu your communication or consultation process. And what I mean by that is if you walk in to the reception and you see a client sitting there 
and they look impatient um, and they're, you know, they're obviously upset or angry. How are you going to approach that differently to someone else? We know there's lots of different personality types out there. And again, this could be a massive podcast in itself on how to communicate with other people. But if you look at it fundamentally, you've got those who want to have a natter and a good chat. You've got those who are really passionate about people and caring and, and understanding. And this is, again, very generalized terms. You've got those who are incredibly direct. They want the answers and bullet points and they want them now. And then you've got those who are incredibly analytical and they need to know all the detail and they want to know all the information and they want to hear it three times in seven different languages and then they want you to go through it again and then they want to stop and think. Now, obviously, as human beings, we're a combination of all of these. But if you don't understand those basic principles of personality and communication typing, when you're doing a consultation, it could be falling on flat ears. And the amount of times I've walked into a consultation practice... And you've got a patient there who's very clearly analytical and they want the details. They've got their notes in front of them. They've got their questions. Mm. They've got their photos. And you've got a nurse or a doctor or whoever else going on an absolute tangent about the weekend and how much fun they it's had. Cringy to read. Watch. It's terrible. So before you start your consultation, think about the person that you're talking to. That would be the first thing that I'd say. And understand it's your job as a person doing the consultation to be a little bit of a chameleon. So you have to deliver a certain amount of information, but you also need to deliver in a way that the person who's in front of you can understand that. And that's going to be based on their communication typing. Yeah. So there's so many courses and so many, um, you know, internet sites dedicated literally to this subject. So my first protocol would be before you start them, go out and have a look at those and understand the differences and learn then how to adapt your skill set and your delivery based on that. That's number one. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Uh, Is yeah. that? Yeah. You know, when I think about some of the clients that jump into my head, like they're just exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Bullet point, you know, they're CEO of a company. That's they right. just want to know bang, 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 bang. They've got exactly. no time. They've got to get home and they've got a meeting and that, you know, they just want the facts. That's right. Other people will come back for three consults before they commit to the most basic of treatment. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they need their handheld and, printed verbally everything mm-hmm. so yeah and then you've just got some clients who are just might come across a bit abrupt and a bit angry and a bit stern and mm. can be a bit confronting sometimes when you've got someone like that because you, you wonder did you do something wrong or sure. they're just having a bad day or is that just like them all the time and yeah it's quite and probably a combination of all of those things and that's it so communication is number one with your consultation skills 100 percent. once you have mastered that or at least you're aware of that and you're working towards that The second thing I would say then is have a bit of a script. And I know it sounds a bit silly, but we forget so many things when we start off. Yes. So if you've got a bit of a script or you've got a bit of a, 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 you know, a a bullet point in front of you to help you when you're starting, it, it helps a lot. So what I would say is what are the important things that you want to discuss and cover in that? What is your flow? And just have that jotted down in front of you. Now, when a patient comes to see you, depending on their personality, their timeline, how much time you have, they're going to have questions, particularly if it's their first appointment with you, or they're going to come at you and say, well, what about this and this? And I've heard that and that. So what I would say is tell them what you're going to tell them. So set up the consultation with a bit of a flow. So this is an example of something you could say um, after you've introduced yourself and you've built that little bit of rapport. Um, depending on the personality, you could say, look, um, I understand you probably got a lot of questions today. So what I'll do is just run you through what we'll, we'll go through today so you feel really comfortable with the process. Tell them what you're going to tell them. And then say, we'll start with your medical history. The reason we'll start there is because it's really good for us to understand if you are you know, in a position to go forward with this based on your medical history and, and where you are currently. From there, what I'll do is I'm going to actually take some photos of you 
And then together we're going to sit down and go through these photos and you can tell me what's actually brought you in to see me today and why today. That's another question to always ask, why today? Once we've done that, we can come up with a treatment plan for you or a process that suits your timelines. We can talk about costings, we can talk about consents, and we can talk about the process moving forward from here. Any questions you can have, you can obviously ask at that time and we'll make sure you're really comfortable before we go forward with anything. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, Penny, you would know because I sent you my new consultation form a week ago <laughs> just because I you know, value your opinion greatly. And even for me, I've been doing this for didn't ask, years. My, didn't ask my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not a doctor, Dave. You're the next opinion. You, yes. you know, you're more senior, you come second. <laughs> um, you know, we... we as human beings forget things or or because of the way the client is they they sort of catch oh, us off guard occasionally yeah. and and you know i'm guilty of this i've forgotten photos sometimes sure. it, it's crazy but it happens yes. so if you've got th- this flow sheet where you know you don't have to stick to it rigidly but you look at the page and you're like okay i've done the medical questions go on to the next one yeah. i think for a, a beginner let alone a, a someone been doing it a long time having that flow chart and it also helps you set the scene. It, exactly. You know, for consumers listening to this, some of this stuff may not seem relevant. Why am I asking if you've got a tooth infection when you want anti-wrinkle treatments yeah. or whatever it is? But there's a reason for why we do this stuff. Mm. And I think if you're a new injector, it gives you a little bit of um, control. No, not What's control, that? but like it, it's establishing that dynamic of you're a medical professional and you're doing this right mm-hmm. if you just skip to okay we're doing your lips bang 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 mm-hmm. creams on thanks very much I don't really think you're doing a service or or, or looking after that person holistically mm. um you know and and when you go through the treatment planning you may realize having examined their face and their photos with them yes that they realize from the profile it's actually the jaw or the chin or that's right. nose or something else that's the, the main issue despite the fact that they came in for their lips and they're nervous and i think when someone's nervous the best thing you can do is give them information and the way to do that is tell them what you're going to talk about today mm. so if you're a nervous patient sitting there you're thinking oh my god are they going to tell me the cost uh what if it's too expensive what if i don't want to do it today um what if i don't like it what if what if i'm not ready for this if you say to them this is the process we're going to cover today and at the end we'll make a decision together yeah. based on if i can meet your expectations and if you're happy with the process <coughs> on what we do next yeah. you've alleviated that anxiety for that patient straight away because they know all their questions are going to be answered you've told them you're going to discuss costings you've told them you're going to go through the medical history you've told them they'll have photos they're going to have a chance to speak they're going to have a chance to ask questions and you've done it in a way hopefully that resonates with them based on the communication style in front before of you. you wield a syringe because before that, you touch it exactly yeah, right i mean for new clients and again it depends on on the feel of how they come in the room i often say to them look i know you've probably got a lot of anxieties be it looking strange overdone swollen weird whatever mm. we're not going to even go into injecting just yet let's just talk about you exactly let's work out why you're here is it right for you are you medically sound for it exactly. and then they kind of go oh okay this guy's not just here for my money. Yes. And then I think that that flow becomes a lot easier because then they'll open up more. Exactly. Rather than being on guard, thinking you're just trying to take their money. And just a real point here too, and it might sound silly, but I think it's important for injectors to know, 
a really good reason to start with their medical history is if you've gone down the path of photos, talking about it, putting Emla in, oh, we'll just quickly go through your medical history and then find out you can't treat them for whatever reason. Yes. You've just wasted half an hour of theirs in your time. Or they're allergic to local. Or they're, exactly. <laughs> they've got an allergy that you can't treat them. So start with that medical history. It's the basic foundation of what they're there for. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Start with that. Once you've you've realised that they're clear and that they're open um, medically to have treatment, then you can start with all the stuff that goes behind it. It's funny listening to you guys, not funny, but um, listening to you guys talk about this process is, and I'm going to use a dirty word, is what you learn in basic sales. Sure. And I've yes. been down that path and even talking <laughs> about, I mean, because when you use the word sales, people go, oh, they think use, you know, sleazy used car salesman on Parramatta Road selling your car, <laughs> you know, in a cheap suit. <laughs> That's what you think about, sure. right? People, so people hear the word sales and they run. Sure. But it comes down to understand. And I think about my time in sales and all the training that I had, learning Absolutely. a script. Absolutely. Learning a script because you need a a structure to work from. Once you know that, then you can add your personality exactly. and you can change certain questions. You can make it fit your process and how you feel comfortable doing it, right? Is this going back to your days at Fitness First? Yeah, and even understanding things like you're talking about the different personality types. I mean, we would go as far as, give you an example, right? So you see someone walking down the street that's mm-hmm. wearing the same shirt as you. You mm-hmm. see someone in trying to pull in, in front of you in traffic who drives the same car as you right? You meet someone who you both go for the same football team. You both like the same music. Mm. You are automatically drawn sure. to people who you have things in common with. For sure. Right? So, we're looking as, as human beings, we're constantly looking for these commonalities. Mm. And sometimes you don't, you don't even realize it. You, if, someone, if I see someone who want to pull in traffic in front of me, they're driving the same car as me, I'm more likely to let them in. Yes, sure. That's hilarious. That's, so, yeah, of course. So when it comes down to consulting a patient, even to the language that you use, mm. if someone's talking in very simple terms, I'm not going to go rattling off, you know, large, complicated yes. sentences with ridiculous vocabulary. You're going to keep it very simple, the rate at which they're talking. Yes, speed. Mm-hmm. Body language, eye contact. Uh-huh. All those things, matching, mirroring, making so because once someone, you, once you, as a human being, once you've established that commonality, yes, the the channels of communication open and trust and trust, mm-hmm. and this this is basic it's, sales. This is. is basic basic sales yes. training one hundred and one. Absolutely, it is. And I was lucky enough to start my career in London in the aesthetic industry for a company called the Harley Medical Group, and we spent like you yeah. said with LCA about nine or ten weeks doing yeah. this and we had a whole week based on the cosmetic consultation and went through exactly all the things that you've just talked about and we did script after script after script and by the end of it you were putting your own yeah. personality into it but you knew exactly what you needed to cover you knew why you needed to cover it the the order which was beneficial to you and both the patient um putting medical yeah. first but at the same time matching that personality and dialing <laughs> down or dialing up either yeah. your personality and your um even your tone yeah. That's based we, on the person. In front that's of why I meet some people sometimes, and you go, "I can't work out what it is, but I like that person." Sure. Or I don't know what it is. I can't stand that person. Can't it's because mm. you just don't have anything in common, or, well, the opposite. Yes. It's these intangibles. That's right. And people don't realise that's that. true. And you will find it's it's interesting within the co- cosmetic industry. After a while, those who are quite um, set up, they actually do seem to. I guess, get people coming to them who, who do mirror that personality. So you will find a, pers- a a patient type that does come to you after a while and that's based on word of mouth because they've gotten on with you really well and then they've, you know, they've extended that. But the way to extend that branch even further is to learn, 
you know, those skill sets and learn how to mirror and learn how to make basically, you know, if you take it away from sales, you're learning how to pe- make people feel comfortable yeah. because you're giving the same information. You're going through the same medical stuff. You're, you're still covering everything to make sure that you're doing all the right things, but you're delivering it in a way that they're open to responding and yeah. hearing it. And that's what's really, really important. Yeah, because if they're not, you might as well be speaking a different language. Absolutely. You can both be speaking English, but the, the, the knowledge just, it's not going in. Absolutely. <laughs> they're not absorbing, just bouncing off them. Absolutely. And if we've got any consumers listening, which hopefully we do, how how would you explain to them about choosing an injector? I mean, obviously, forgetting the fact that they're qualified and mm. all of that, but a lot of consumers don't seem to appreciate that by jumping around injectors, they're going to get the same experience or they're not going to get the same experience. Sorry. Yes. Why, why is that such a commonly done thing by consumers where you know oh i tried him he was he was okay but then my friend said this guy's doing a deal so i went to him and i still wasn't happy and we hear that all the time don't we do we? absolutely so how, how should they um get the most out of their consultation first of all it, listen to and what i mean by that as a consumer is that you might be going with a very set op, you know option in your mind of what it is that needs to be done so Listen to what your injector has to say and why they're explaining what's going on for you. Um, second of all, it is a two-way street. It's all, it's almost like a bit of an interview process when you are having a consultation. Yes, it's a medical consultation, but at the same time, ask questions and have a list of questions that you want to ask. And it might be, you know, tell me about your qualifications. It might be, tell me what happens if something goes wrong. How will you look after me? It might be, you know, how many of these have you actually done? There's so many questions that you can ask to qualify the person in front of you. But really listen and find out the why you're in the predicament and and make sure you attach. I mean, we talk about emotions and attaching emotion to a feeling and a look and and all those types of things. So just just really listen to the injector and, and understand from an aging perspective or a structural perspective or an emotional perspective why it is that you feel you want A. Learn about it. See if you're actually on the right track. Second of all, the more you jump around the less likely it is that someone's going to get to know your face. So that's yep. the other thing I'd say. You're better to go back and say, look, I'm not quite sure about this or, you know, was this where we were going? But at the end of that consultation process, you should be both so on the same page. Your expectations should be realistic. And if they're not, you shouldn't be going ahead anyway. And you should almost be able to predict the outcome based on the amount of information that you've gone through with that injector. It should be at that point. So you shouldn't really go through with it and end up with an outcome that you're unhappy with or was unexpected. And if you don't feel during that consultation process that you're getting those answers or that you feel at that point, don't go forward. Yeah, don't feel forced. Don't go forward. It's just a consultation. That's it. Go home, think about it, get some more questions and come back if you need to. You don't have to go forward with these processes based on someone telling you it's something that you should have. Yeah. Everyone's a bit different. I personally don't agree with this, but I've had a lot of uh, clients say to me, oh, you're a doctor. I'm way more comfortable with you because you're a doctor. Yes. Honestly, I I know I'm a doctor, but I I don't agree with that. There are plenty of terrible doctors and plenty of amazing nurses and, and in between. Sure. Can you qualify why that isn't the case? Like, Why is a doctor not better? There are certain things that doctors are better at than nurses qualifying medical history, um, dealing with adverse events in general. Um, necrotic skin is an example of that or 
ongoing infection. Yeah. So what I would say is that if you look at the technical ability and the experience that you have, either a doctor, a nurse or a dentist can deliver that for you beautifully. And that's what you're looking for. Yeah. As a consumer, if you're not seeing a doctor, make sure the person that you are seeing is comfortable and competent in side effect management if something is going to happen. So what I mean by that is do they work closely with a doctor? Do they have a medical practitioner that they sit aligned with? Do they have policies and, um, I guess, flow set up as to if something does go wrong? And you should be asking that question. If I don't get the outcome that I'm after, what's going to happen? If yeah. I'm not happy with the result, what's going to happen? If something goes wrong or I get an infection, what should I be doing and how are you going to help me with that? Yeah. And if those questions can't be answered by any medical practitioner, that's not someone you should be going to see. Yeah. I mean, I support a couple of nurse colleagues who are injectors mm. um, and, you know, it works really well. They're very experienced. If they've got any clinical questions, mm. they call me and it's fine. But I think a lot of consumers find that the FaceTiming script part of the consultation a bit bizarre. Sure. Uh, and they often feel like the nurse isn't in control because they have to call someone else. Right. Can you just explain that part of the, the consultation so people are a bit more comfortable with it? Yeah. What your doctor is doing is checking the medical history to make sure there's nothing there that's been missed. It's a checkup, it's a backup, and it's yeah. a really good thing to have. So when you're on Skype with the doctor, um, what you're, you're going to be asked is the same set of questions again around your medical history, and the doctor will go into more depth around anything they're concerned with. And as nurses, we've got a certain skill level, but it's great for us to have that backup from a doctor's perspective to make sure we haven't missed anything. Yeah. So that's the second check. From a technical perspective and an experience perspective, as I mentioned before, nurses deliver that beautifully. And in some instances, much better because of so many different communication reasons and, and ways that they work with patients. But again, the pre's done with that from a Skyping perspective. And if you are Skyping a doctor, I'd also ask, are they in proximity enough to help if something goes wrong? Yeah. Because if you're in a situation where you've got a, an injector and you've got a doctor five hours away, my personal opinion, my personal opinion is what happens if something goes really, really wrong. I agree. So you want to make sure that, that that backup, and that's what it is, is a backup, is within a vicinity that they can be reached to help if there is a problem at all. And I'm not talking about basic vasovagal or fainting or episodes like that. Your nurse should be able to deal with all of those. I'm talking about ongoing or larger side effects that may occur that are very, very rare, but that's what we have backups for. Yeah. And, you know, just to go back to the, the Skyping thing, it's a legal uh, requirement. requirement because sure. a nurse cannot prescribe. Absolutely. It's not that the nurse doesn't have the skill or the knowledge That's to it. deliver the treatment. That's so right. any consumers listening, don't, you know, don't be alarmed. It's just a, a, a it's, it's just a, a process. And it's the same in hospital. I can't give morphine in a hospital. Correct. So a doctor prescribes the morphine and then I make good judgment and best judgment on how much from that prescription I'm going to give. So it's mm. no different to that process in hospital from a prescribing perspective. But once again, just make sure that it is happening. First of all, if you're a consumer, you are having a backup. And second of all, the nurse can deal with, with everything else within the process. But are they available to you? Yes. Um, if something does happen. And can I qualify having done hospital work? I have had calls at three in the morning from nurses on random wards saying, oh, hey, doc, can I give some paracetamol? Sure. And, you know, you can give a verbal order over the phone legally. Yes. And then go and sign for it later. Yes. But a FaceTime, you're actually seeing the patient and, you know, assessing them and talking to them and asking them relevant questions. So I think it's a better way of doing it than a than what happens in hospital to some extent. Sure. So my only question, um, 
maybe to throw a spanner in the works. What about nurse practitioners? Well, what is a nurse practitioner? What is a nurse practitioner? Yeah, yeah. A nurse practitioner is a nurse who's gone on to do a master's training right. um, who has uh, a different level of education and also then ability than a nurse who's done their degree training. And what that means is that they can prescribe medications. So when you're talking about it from a cosmetic perspective, they can prescribe medications themselves and they don't need to have a Skype consultation with a doctor. Yeah. What I would say, though, with all medical practitioners, doctors, nurses of every single level, including dentists, is that they should be working with mentors regardless. So do make sure they're part of an active community or they're doing ongoing training or they're reaching out to colleagues all the time, regardless of what level they are within their qualification as well. Yeah. I'm on a WhatsApp group with at least 50 doctors globally, and we chat about this stuff almost every day, whether it's a random presentation, a funny looking bit of skin, how would I approach this face? We all do it all the time and Mm. I've been doing this 11 years and I'm still learning every day. So that's exactly right. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's it. Medicine progresses. We need Mm. to progress with it. No one is ever stagnant. And if they are again, you know, it's probably not the right person to be seeing. Awesome. So we're trying to keep all of our podcast episodes now less than an hour so people can sort of listen to them in their car and Mm -hmm. so on. And we're doing weekly now. So what we'll do is we'll probably stop here. Beautiful. And give people a little bit of a break and then um, we'll continue with the next episode. We'll, we'll delve a little bit more deeply into, I guess, some of the more complex topics in terms of uh, injectable ad- specifics events and, yeah, and injecting techniques and so on. So stay tuned um, and Penny will be back soon. Thank you, Penny. Thank, Thank you. you. For our latest news, upcoming episode information and mini video clips of our guests, you can follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. We've also just started a YouTube channel called Inside Aesthetics and we'll be uploading more content and longer videos in the future.